The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. All truths are true, but some truths are more powerful than others. All truths provide useful information, but some truths provide life. For example, there's the truth of signs that a person is choking. That provides useful information, but it doesn't provide life. Just, hey, look, at that person's choking. Yep, there's the checklist. Then there's the truth of how to help someone who is choking. Ah, that truth provides life. Do you see the difference? All truths are true, but some truths are more powerful than others. Today, we are about to unpack a powerful truth. A truth that, if you hear it, absorb it, and apply it, it will radically alter the rest of your life and the life of others for eternity. Today, we are dealing with a powerful truth. So listen, put your phone aside. Leave that conversation for afterwards. What we're about to discuss right now deserves our full attention. Some people listening to my voice right now are in serious trouble. Some people listening to my voice right now are slowly choking. And I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. You are dying inside. Something is stuck within you. And it's draining power, energy, and life from your very soul. You feel weak. You feel vulnerable. You know the truth about Jesus, but you're having trouble consistently living for Jesus. You want to live for God, but you struggle. You fall into the same trap. You slip into the same rut. And you've been in that rut for so long that it's starting to feel like a grave. You want to change. You desperately need power to live, but you don't know where to turn to find what you so desperately need. Well, I have good news. Today's powerful truth can set you free. And the first step towards grasping hold of this powerful truth is found in the theme song of the most, one of the most famous TV shows from the 1960s called The Beverly Hillbillies. Let's watch it together. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed And then one day he was shooting at some food And up to the ground come a bubbling crude Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea Well, the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there Said, California is the place you ought to be So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbilly. Just makes you want to take up banjo, doesn't it? I grew up watching that show. Now you say, Darren, what does that song have to do with our spiritual lives? Come on. Well, listen to the words carefully. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food, and up from the ground came a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. Now, you say, what does that have to do with anything? 
When it came to the Beverly Hillbillies, the answer to their poverty and their lack was right there all the time. The answer to their poverty and their lack was right under the surface of their lives the whole time. And I would suggest to you today that what was true of those hillbillies is true of every follower of Jesus Christ. The answer to any sense of spiritual poverty or lack in our lives is right under the surface. The answer is found in the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. As your outline says, before Christ rose from the dead, the Spirit of God dwelt alongside his people alongside. Now, before Christ rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit's interaction with people was like your interaction with the people who are sitting around you right now. You're with them temporarily. You come and go from their presence. Well, that's how the Holy Spirit interacted with people before Christ rose from the dead. He was alongside of them. But now that Christ has risen from the dead and cleansed us from our sin, the Spirit of God dwells within his people. Do you see the difference? He was alongside his people, but now he lives within his people. As Jesus neared his death and resurrection, he predicted this radical shift would take place. Speaking about the relationship his followers then had with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this in John 14. He said, he lives, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he lives with you and he will be in you. See the shift. He lives with you, but he will be in you. He said, there's this radical shift that's going to take place. You are going to have increased access to the Spirit. He's just not going to be temporarily alongside you now and then. He's going to live within you, an increased intimacy, an increased effect upon your life. What Jesus saw as the future, we now experience as our present. Listen to how the Apostle Paul described our new reality as Christ followers. He said, do you not know that your bodies are, notice the verb tense, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Listen to how the Apostle John describes it. He said, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, in other words, that's how you have access to the Holy Spirit. You're a follower of Jesus. God lives in them and they in God. So why is this indwelling presence of God such a powerful truth? Think about it. You have the very presence of the eternal God within you. You have the very presence of the all-powerful creator of the universe dwelling within you. You have the very presence of the incredible designer of all creation dwelling within you. Ponder that. Now, by the way, as you sit here today, does the Spirit of God actually dwell within you? You say, Darren, how how can I know? Let me answer this as simply as I possibly can. If you didn't invite the Spirit to dwell within you, He doesn't live within you. 
The Spirit of God only lives within the hearts of those who have acknowledged their rebellion, have accepted his offer of forgiveness into their lives. That's why John said, if anyone acknowledges acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him. It's that acknowledgement. It's more than just, okay, yes, I intellectually assent to that. No, it's an acknowledgement in your heart, in your mind, in your life, an acknowledgement of your own sin, acknowledgement of your need for forgiveness. Have you done that? Have you ever honestly acknowledged the reality of the state of your own life before God? Have you ever faced the truth about your own rebellion before God? And did you know that Jesus came to forgive you of your rebellion and my rebellion? Did you know that Jesus died to pay the debt of our rebellion? Well, right now, he is standing before you, offering you the gift of forgiveness. So have you actually received this gift? Before you leave this place today, you will be given the opportunity to do that very thing. So prepare yourself. And by the way, when you accept Christ's gift of forgiveness, that is the moment when the Spirit of God begins to dwell within your life. That's the moment, as your outline says, that the indwelling of Spirit of God restores your soul with supernatural life. He restores your soul with supernatural life, as your outline says. The Bible says, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Look at those two words. They jumped out at me. Rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Rebirth and renewal. That's like a defibrillator, which, you know jump starts your heart and then a pacemaker that keeps your heart going that's what the holy spirit does rebirth and renewal a defibrillator and a pacemaker the spirit of god gives us life and then he keeps us alive after he gives us life the spirit of god dwells within you and when you interact with his indwelling presence he restores your soul with supernatural life but that's not all According to the Bible, the indwelling Spirit of God strengthens your soul with supernatural acceptance. Now, what do we mean by that? According to the experts, every one of us battles insecurity at some level of our life. Every one of us. I remember a long time ago, I used to walk up to people and say, I'm not insecure, am I? (laughs) People don't think I'm insecure, do they? We all battle insecurity at some level. And according to the experts, there are three areas where we all feel insecure and vulnerable. Three areas. One is, we all think at some level, I'm not good enough. Every one of us thinks that at some level. I'm not good enough. Secondly, according to the experts, we all think at some level, I don't fit in. Everyone else is the same and I'm different. I'm a square peg in a round hole. I just don't fit in. And everyone at some level, I'm told, all thinks If you really knew what I was like, you wouldn't like me. The more you know about me, the less you'll like about me. And here's the thing. These three areas combine into one giant mega insecurity when we approach God. Oh God, I am not good enough to be in your presence. I don't fit in in your presence. And the more you know about me, God, the less you're going to love me. But here's the thing. When I interact with the indwelling Spirit of God, He combats my fears and He overcomes my insecurity because He strengthens my soul with supernatural acceptance. Listen to how the Bible describes it in Romans chapter 8. 
I'm reading from the message version. It says this, this resurrection life you receive from God, it's not a timid, grave-tending life. No, it's adventurously expectant, greeting a God with childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. When I interact with the indwelling spirit of God, his indwelling spirit confirms his love for me and his acceptance of me. So why is this indwelling presence of God such a powerful truth? It's because the indwelling spirit restores your soul with supernatural life, strengthens your soul with supernatural acceptance, but that's still not all. The indwelling spirit of God feeds your soul with supernatural truth. Speaking of the indwelling presence of God's spirit, the apostle Paul wrote this. He said, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I wonder how many people here today get really grumpy and ornery and mean when you haven't eaten. Don't raise your hand, but point to the person next to you if it's true of them. Okay, yeah, a lot of hands pointing, sure. Some of us here in this room today, until you have your first coffee, it's not like you're, you're not even human yet, right? You're some type of creature, ravenous wolf. It's true of many people, of food and drink. In fact, the Snickers candy bar company, they have a whole ad campaign built around this dynamic. You're not you when you're hungry. Remember that ad campaign? When you don't eat, you get run down, you get weak. You become vulnerable to all kinds of things. It's true in the physical realm. It's equally true in the spiritual realm. When we go through seasons without being fed from God's word and God's presence, it changes us for the worse. But when we interact with the indwelling presence of God, he takes the written word of God, the Bible, and he feeds our souls with supernatural truth. At Broadway here, we devise something we call the grow principle. We asked the question, what do I have to do to grow as a follower of Jesus? We said, here's what you do. The G stands for give. Every day, give somehow in some way of your time, talents, and treasures for the betterment of someone else. And the OW stands for opportunity to witness. Somehow, some way, every day, share with someone the reality of God's presence and activity in your life which leaves the R. The R in the middle stands for read and reflect. Read God's word and reflect on God's word. And we actually devise the steps journal as as a tool to help you do this. The steps journal, which helps you to read the Bible day by day, moment by moment. And, and, and you can go through that steps journal and you can learn and, and, and study God's word and uh, go through the Bible in a year. In fact, I think we have a picture of the steps journal. Let's put that up on the screen if we could, please. Uh, and you can purchase one of these perhaps afterwards at Timbers. And, uh, and by the step stands for remember scripture, teaching, experience, and prayer. Read the scripture, write down what it's teaching you, then what you're experiencing in response, and the P, you pray in response to what you've experienced. All of this is part of that dynamic of reading and reflecting, because the Spirit of God dwells within us, and he applies, and and he changes our hearts and our lives. He feeds our soul with supernatural truth. 
Why is the indwelling presence of God such a powerful truth? Because the indwelling spirit of God restores your soul with supernatural life, strengthens your soul with supernatural acceptance, and feeds your soul with supernatural truth. But that's still not all. I feel like I'm doing an infomercial here. There's still more. The indwelling spirit of God transforms your soul with supernatural qualities. I think I've shared with you before, as a teenager, one of the jobs I had was I worked in a soft drink factory back in Ontario. I would spend a day mixing chemicals that produced a, a flavor, you know. So I would spend a day mixing chemicals that produced a root beer flavor, and then I would go home smelling like root beer. When you spend a lot of time in the presence of root beer, you tend to start to take on the qualities of root beer. <laughs> take my word for it. Parents, have you ever had your child have a sleepover? A sleepover with a really, one of those kids in the neighborhood that you just don't like. You wish your child didn't hang around with that kid because you just don't like that kid. But your child has a sleepover at their house, and then the next day your kid comes home, and they come home with an attitude, a chip on their shoulder, an attitude that you need to, shall we say, readjust, Right? When you spend a lot of time in the presence of someone, you tend to become like them. You tend to start to reflect their qualities. It's true of root beer, it's true of bratty kids, and it's true of the indwelling presence of God. When you interact with the indwelling spirit of God, he transforms your soul with supernatural qualities. Well, Darren, what kind of qualities are you talking about, you say? Well, the Bible lists them in Galatians chapter 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice, the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit produces. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice, it's not the fruit of your efforts. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We don't try to love someone. We interact with the indwelling spirit of God, and he transforms us into being a more loving person. We don't try to be more patient. We interact with God's indwelling spirit, and he transforms us into becoming a more patient person. It's not the fruit of our efforts, it's the fruit of the spirit. It's what happens when a follower of Christ intentionally interacts with the indwelling Spirit of God. The indwelling Spirit of God restores your soul with supernatural life, strengthens your soul with supernatural acceptance, feeds your soul with supernatural truth, transforms your soul with supernatural qualities, but there's still more. The indwelling Spirit of God empowers your soul with supernatural abilities. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible describes these supernatural abilities and describes them in the terms of gifts. There's a story, a grandmother, she, she was giving directions to her 20-year-old grandson. It was the grandmother's birthday and the grandson was coming over to visit her in her new home. She just moved into a new condominium. So she says, okay, son, here's how you get here. Here's my address. Now, when you get into the building, you'll see a big thing on the wall with a bunch of buttons on it okay with your elbow hit 14d that's me i'll then buzz you and let you in walk through the door then turn right to the elevator with your elbow hit the up button 
then go into the elevator with your elbow hit 14, then go up to the 14th floor. When you get out of the elevator, turn right, walk down about six doors. I'm on your right. With your elbow, hit the bell on my door, and I'll let you in. The grandson says, okay, those are pretty clear directions, Grandma, but quick question, why am I hitting everything with my elbow? And she says, it's my birthday. You're not coming empty-handed, are you? Everybody loves to receive a gift, don't they? No matter how old and how, how young you are, we all love gifts. Well, listen to the list of gifts, supernatural abilities, that is available to everyone who interacts with the indwelling Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm starting at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Now here's the thing. This isn't an exhaustive list of the gifts of this, in the Spirit. The Bible mentions other gifts. But this is a great place to start. And what are these terms that Paul's describing? Well, the Bible doesn't give us dictionary definitions for each of them, but I think we have a pretty good idea of what each is describing. Let me take the next couple quick minutes to just quickly go through the list. The gift of a message of wisdom. It's the God-given ability to exercise superior judgment at just the right time. This is when God supernaturally, intuitively, gives you an idea, a ready-made concept or sense of direction. It just kind of falls into your lap. Then there's the, the gift of a message of knowledge. This is the God-given awareness of facts without the aid of natural senses. So if the gift of the message of wisdom is about general concepts, I get the sense that we should go this direction, that direction. That's the message of wisdom. Well, this gift, the message of knowledge, is about specific facts, things you would not know otherwise. I think of a time when this uh, a specific instance uh, when I experienced this. I was speaking in Estonia overseas, and there was about two, three hundred people in this gathering, this midweek study that I was doing. And uh, I was speaking in English, but it was being translated into Estonian and simultaneously into Russian. And at the end of my teaching, I then invited people to come forward and I would pray over them. And what I would do is I would pray over them, and like we learned in our study on how to hear God's voice, I would just speak what I spontaneously felt God saying to me, and I would pass it on to them. Speak into their life, let them determine if that was from God or not. So it, this took two or three hours. People came and they lined up, a couple hundred, and waited and we prayed over them. I'll never forget this one woman. Uh, I don't know her name to this day. I'd never met her before, never spoken to her since. Uh, she came forward, very professional-looking uh, young adult woman, and she just stood in front of me as all the others did, and I just spoke what I felt God say to me and then was translated into her ear in Estonian. And what I said to her was, you look fine, but deep in your heart, you are incredibly depressed. 
In your soul, you are empty. In fact, you are so depressed and so empty, you have planned your own funeral. And she just stood there, very stoic, didn't move. And when I was done, I prayed over her, prayed words of encouragement into her. And then she said, nodded at me and began to walk away. And Dr. Alan Lauer, who was my host, he said, Darren, just a minute. And he went over and caught her, and he spoke with her, and he was gesturing. And I thought, oh, I've blown it. I have done something really stupid here, and he's going to tell me about it later. I've offended her. Well, I went on, prayed with all the other people. Then as we were driving home later that evening, I remembered. I said, Alan, that one woman that I prayed over, and you pulled her aside, and you were gesturing, what did I do? Did I do something wrong? He said, oh, no, Darren. I had to inform her and assure her that I had not talked to you. Darren, two weeks before you spoke that into her life tonight, she came to see me, made an appointment, and told me she was going to take her life and asked if I would preach her funeral. That's a word I would not know. I did not know. But the Spirit of God, it was a message of knowledge. Then there's the gift of faith. It's a God-given confidence that produces extraordinary results. Now, this isn't saving faith. This isn't faith that one person places in Christ when you become a follower of Jesus. No, this is a unique quality of faith. It's a gift of faith. Think of saving faith as the breath you have moment by moment, just the breath that simply sustains your life. That's saving faith. The gift of faith is more like the breath you need during a moment of intense exercise, a a jolt of extra oxygen, extra faith needed in a unique circumstance. Then there's the gift of the gifts of healing. That's literally what Paul calls it, the gift of the gifts of healing. This is the God-given ability to banish human ills with just a spoken word. Now notice this. There's no such thing as faith healers in the Bible. God is the healer. There's no such thing as a faith healer. It's a gift flowing out from God's indwelling spirit that does the healing. We are to healing... What a tap is to water. We're not the source. We're just the conduit. We're the delivery mechanism. Peter's experience of the man sitting by the temple gate in Acts 9 is probably a good example of this gift being exercised. Then there's the gift of miraculous powers. This is the God-given ability to see an immediate supernatural intervention into the normal course of the operation of things. Sudden and dramatic events, and these are rare. That's why they're called miracles, like someone being raised from the dead. Then there's the gift of prophecy. This is the God-given ability to declare God's thoughts at a given moment. Now, prophecy can be foretelling, talking about the future, or it can be forthtelling, just speaking in the present. Biblical prophecy isn't limited to predicting the future. It also includes any declaration of God's thoughts or intention at any given moment. Then there's the gift of distinguishing between spirits. What's that? That's the God-given ability to recognize identities in the spiritual realm. As a pastor, anyone leading a meeting, this gift needs to be in operation. This is a supernatural insight into the source behind an event. And there's only one of three sources. It's either divine, demonic, or human. Divine, demonic, or human. And as a leader, someone serving a congregation, you need to be able to intuitively understand on the fly, is this God at work? Is this just a human source? Is this a demonic activity happening? And then there's the gift of speaking in different kinds of tongues. That's the God-given ability to speak words in an unlearned language. 
Now, this is an experience that was first unleashed 2,000 years ago, roughly, at the very first day of Pentecost after Christ's resurrection. I don't know why God chose this as a way of unleashing his power and presence, but he did, and he is God. The Bible actually says when a person prays in this God-given language, it actually strengthens their soul. It edifies their spirit. I can personally tell you that I have found that to be true, as have over half a billion, with a B, people around the world who have experienced this gift, according to a recent Pew Research poll. Then there's the gift of the interpretation of tongues. This is the God-given ability to know directly and intuitively what has been communicated through the gift of tongues. You see, when a person prays using the gift of tongues, they don't know what they're saying. When you're praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, your mind has no idea what you're saying. It builds your spirit up, but it doesn't build up your mind, doesn't inform your mind. If you're praying in an unknown language, an unknown tongue, and you're by yourself, you don't need it to be interpreted by anyone. Your spirit is being strengthened in that moment, and that's the purpose of that gift. That's all that matters. However, the Bible says that if you pray in an unknown tongue out loud, loud enough for everyone to hear, in a public worship service, it must be interpreted. Otherwise, you're the only one being strengthened, and that's pretty selfish, isn't it? Now, I realize this just scratches the surface of these things, but if you want to know more, you have different options. You visit Timber uh, Bistro and Books downstairs, and, and there's some resources there you can check into. Uh, uh, talk with our discipleship director, Dr. McNelson, sitting here in the front row. He'd be more than happy to sit down with you, as would any of the staff. Have an appointment, make an appointment with me. I'd be happy to sit down with you and unpack this and, and interact with you about the gifts of the Spirit in your life. By the way, you might be wondering, so how does all this work here at Broadway Church? I'm asked this every now and then. If you feel you have a prophetic word, what, what should I do? Here's the protocol that we would ask you to follow. You see, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, we define our buildings and then our buildings define us. And in some ways, that's what's happened. This is an auditorium that seats roughly 2,000 people unless the fire department is here, in which case it seats less than that. And, but... Uh, <laughs> No, we obey the laws. And, but, so it's a large auditorium. And so if someone has a prophetic word and, the, and they speak it out underneath the balcony, if you're up in the upper tier of the balcony, you don't hear what's being said. So what's the point? People aren't being edified. So for that reason and for a second reason, Broadway Church can sometimes be a congregation that can be a target of well-meaning but misguided people who feel that they are God's prophet or prophetess to the city and they have a word for the church and they feel the need to come and, and spontaneously shout out to us what they feel God wants us to hear. So here's what we've done to protect you and also to project the words. We ask if you feel you have a prophetic word or something stirring in your heart, a vision or whatever, a word from God, that you simply come. Our staff or members of staff would be down here in each service and we're there. And you come to us and say, here's what I feel God is saying. And allow us at that moment to do our role as shepherds and to discern, yes, we feel that should be shared right now. Or sometimes I've said, you know, that's exactly what I'm talking about today. And, and I include it in my message or something. Allow us to fulfill our role to discern what should be the next step at a moment like that. You say, some people say, well, isn't that destroying the spontaneity of the Spirit? When someone has a word, they should just be able to stand up and speak it out. That's what the Bible says. Actually, that's not what the Bible says. 
The gifts of the Spirit are not like a sneeze that you can't control. Achoo, I have a word from God right now. It doesn't work like that. In fact, the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And the Bible says, if you have a word, it says in Corinthians, that it should be done in decency and order. If someone else is speaking, sit down and let someone else speak. So it's in, we're in control. We're ordering these things. It's not this thing where you, some other entity takes you over. No. It's something you can control and you can define and you can uh, do in decency and order, Scripture says. Well, let me conclude. Today, we've sought to answer a question that Christ followers have been asking for 2,000 years. It was an issue in the first century, and it's an issue in the 21st century. How can a person find power to live? How can a person live for Christ in a more consistent basis? And today, we've learned a powerful truth. You will find the power to live in one source and in one source alone, the indwelling Spirit of God. And that brings us to today's big idea where we seek to sum up the teaching in one sentence. Here it is. When we interact with God's Spirit within us, we'll see the acts of God's Spirit around us. When we interact with God's Spirit within us, ah, that's when we'll see the acts of God's Spirit around us. The indwelling Spirit of God restores your soul with supernatural life, strengthens your soul with supernatural acceptance, feeds your soul with supernatural truth, transforms your soul with supernatural qualities, empowers your soul with supernatural abilities. Are you looking for power to live? Are you desiring to see God move in your life in a fresh and powerful way? The answer on this Pentecost Sunday is simple. It all happens through the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. When you interact with God's Spirit within you, you'll see the acts of God's Spirit around you. And how do you interact with God? Let me help you with that next step right now. Let's bow our heads together, please, as we conclude.